The first question is from an anonymous. Dear Ajahn Anan, what advice do you have for a Christian who truly believes in the teachings of the Buddha, but still believes that there is a God or a creator? Taking into consideration that this person wants to deepen his or her understanding and practice of the teachings. So Venerable Ajahn Anan answered that. So this is in terms of uh, belief that we have or faith that we have already with regard to a God or a creator. And never mind about this for now. So when we take a look at this quality of faith, having faith in the teachings of the Buddha, so we see that we have, or the questioner has faith as well in the Buddha's teachings. We see, well, what did the Buddha teach? The Buddha taught to abandon that which is unwholesome, to cultivate the wholesome, to purify the mind. So we put down for the moment what we are or how we came to be, put that down first, put down our thoughts and views, and then we contemplate this quality of unwholesomeness or evil, something that's hot, and so all of us, all religions, no one wants this heat. No one wants unwholesomeness. All humans want loving kindness, want love. No one wants to be harmed. So we see that this foundational quality to have in the world is this quality of loving kindness, of helping one another, to have sacrifice and giving. And all religions, whatever religion we're born into, all uh, teach like this, to sacrifice and give, to have virtue, not to harm, not to kill, not to steal, not to commit sexual misconduct, not to speak harshly or falsely, not to indulge in intoxicants. And some people might have some intoxicants, but they don't harm or practice not to harm others with that. And we contemplate this point in order to be able to abandon it. So even deeper than this is the practice and training in mindfulness to give rise to samadhi, this peaceful and collected mind, to make the mind firm in peacefulness and collectedness. And this is studying the teachings of the Buddha on a deeper level. And so we say this fully self-awakened Buddha, the Samasambuddha, that's one way to speak of it. But we look even deeper at the meaning of this, and it's one who has awakened for oneself, awakened to the truth, awakened rightly and correctly, and teaches others to know following in his footsteps, to teach others the path to know. This is the fully self-awakened one, the Sama Sambuddha. And so speaking about Buddhism and Christianity, there was one occasion where some Christian nuns, some sisters came to study the Dhamma at Wat Nong Papong, Venerable Ajahn Chah's monastery. And Venerable Ajahn Chah was going to teach them the Dhamma and he didn't require them to bow to him, but they had to take off their hats out of respect for the teachings. 
But the sisters uh, bowed as well to Venerable Ajahn Chah. Then Venerable Ajahn Chah taught about the truth of reality, the truth of nature, that is not different between different religions, whether Buddhism or Christianity. He spoke about the truth that's always true, the truth of reality, that this is the Dhamma, it's one thing, it's one and the same in all situations, it's not separated out, it's the same knowing. This knowing is just one thing. It's not separated out into different religions or different categories. We see that if one has attachment, then one suffers, no matter what religion one believes in. And if one doesn't attach, then one doesn't suffer, no matter what beliefs one holds to. So these nuns, these sisters listened to this and felt this very deeply in their hearts that it's not separate, not different between Buddhism and Christianity. This is just a matter of clinging to things as self. Because the Buddha is emptiness. There's no self to be found anywhere. And so the Buddha was able to know the Dhamma for himself and then teach it. He was able to abandon all clinging. He was able to abandon clinging to anything in the world. And so this is the Buddha in truth. Another way of speaking about this is to say one who sees the Dhamma sees the Buddha. We can say, well, where is the Buddha? Where is the Tathagata? He's in the Dhamma. So we see emptiness. We see the Buddha, the awakened one. And so if we contemplate Dhamma in the present moment, we see everything as empty, then we're able to see the Buddha we see that the Buddha is not self. So the nuns listened to this and they felt very touched deep in their hearts and tears flowed from their eyes and faith arose in their hearts. And the nuns uh, bowed deeply to Venerable Ajahn Chah, bowed to the teachings of the Buddha because they were so touched in their hearts. Because as someone who had taken on the life of a monastic. They were Christian nuns. They're ones who seek peacefulness. And Venerable Ajahn Chah pointed out the correct way on an even deeper level. And so their minds gave rise to faith in the Buddhist, Buddhist religion. And so this point, they, and this point about emptiness, that it's not separate, this is true for any religion, the truth is the same. And we see that God and Buddha, it's just a different way of uh, saying it. We can say that they're the same thing. And so these nuns were able to accept this teaching. This is a teaching that's very deep. This question is from an anonymous. After marriage, if a son does not communicate with his parents actively to the extent not visiting and not contacting unless he needs to check with parents on certain things. Ajananan, is, is it the karma of the parents that the child does not connect to them? Will this behavior cause the child to have negative karma? As one of the Buddhist teachings is, it is the duty of a child to take care, know the, li the livelihood of the parents Correct me if I'm wrong in understanding this. 
Most of the time, it is the parent who contacts the child. How then to encourage the son to connect the parents, or do I just leave this, uh, this situation alone? Venerable Ajahnaran answered, so if we speak in terms of Dhamma, if we want something, we don't get that which we want, then this is suffering, this is dukkha. So we want our child, who's married already, to connect with us sometimes. But we see that having married already, they have a lot of burdens and duties to care for their own family. So if this is uh, your son, if they have their own children as well, one, two, or three of their own children, then this is a lot of uh, trouble or chaos for their life. So they have to care for their livelihood and care for their children, and there's no, they don't have any free time. So they run out of time in a single day. Then they're weak, they run out of time in the month, and in a year they run out of time. They have no time. So we have to accept the truth first, and the child has uh, grown up, so we have to let them go. We've given, given them our blood, and then we let them go. And a good point about this is we don't receive the moods from our child, because if the child connects with us a lot, and we just receive the suffering from his life and family, and he just tells us about his troubles, then this would be troublesome for us, and our own minds would feel hot. And there's a lot of this in the world, a lot of children that don't connect with their parents. But if the child is really in trouble, like lacking some of the four requisites, or not having enough money, or in uh, some kind of trouble, then they think of their mother and father at that point. And then some children do call their parents or connect with them. So there's these differences. We can ask, well, is it our karma? And we see that well, in the present day and age, the child being married already, uh, is do they visit their mother and father? Does the child have any examples of this to look to? Or what's the, what's the situation like? And we've done a good karma already by taking care of our child. And it's the child's duty to pay back that debt of gratitude, which includes taking care of their own livelihood, which when the mother and father see that, they can feel happiness in their hearts. And if the child's in trouble, then the parent can give help, can give advice. This is something that's good. But another good point about this is that you yourself have time to study the Dhamma, to practice the Dhamma. So you can practice letting go with this first, practice equanimity. And when the time comes, the child could visit perhaps once or twice a year according to various holidays. So don't think a lot about this. Don't uh, trouble yourself or proliferate about this. It's better to study to make the mind peaceful and collected in samadhi. Ajahn, on the last, um, in one of the Friday's evening talk, you mentioned Galayanamitta, 
always to accompany with those who inspire and give good teachings and guidance in Dhamma. Can this be applied to a couple who married and then decided to separate after once finding the relationship impossible to continue due to verbal, financial, and emotional abuses from, uh, from the other party? Even though the victim tried to amend their relationship financially and morally by keeping the five precepts and to support the family and the children. Sadhu, sadhu, sadhu. So Venerable Ajahnan answered that this term Kalyanamitta means a good friend. So a husband and wife, they can be Kalyanamittas for each other. They can be good friends to one another. This is something that does exist. A couple that has loving kindness for one another, not to harm one another, to be sincere, have truthfulness, to uh, have harmony, helping out, and to have this quality of virtue. But if there is no virtue, then it's difficult to live together. It could be financial problems, are receiving different kind of uh, emotions and speech and so on. And perhaps one party tries to fix the situation, but it still doesn't improve. So you can contemplate, are you able to live together? Are you able to share your life with this person? If it's been if, if someone has tried to fix it, one of the parties has tried to fix it, but there's still a problem, uh, an interpersonal problem, and living separately, you feel more happy. We see that this quality of having the same level of virtue is very important. So we can contemplate and see that it's possible to have Kalyanamittas that live outside of one's home as well. Those are Kalyanamittas as well. Dear Ajananan, what is the best way for us as lay people to follow in Lord Buddha's teachings in our daily life, especially in situations where we may face difficulties or strong emotions that can, that can stray us away from the right path? How do we overcome these things? So in the beginning, we have patient endurance, this quality of kanti. And when we have patient endurance, we have this as our foundation first, patient endurance with regard to all the sense impressions and moods that we receive, everything we experience, whether taste or smell, touch, sound, sight, mind objects, whatever it is, we receive these objects and we have disliking for them, but we've received them already, so stress arises. So we have to patiently endure with this, to have mindfulness to know how we're feeling, to have mindfulness to know what difficulty we're experiencing. So establish mindfulness well and contemplate this quality of dukkha or suffering. Having been born into the world, we have to receive suffering like this. We try to care for our livelihood. We have to go to work, have to live in society, so therefore we have to receive sense impressions and moods like this. We see that all this suffering arises because we have this body. So the Buddha taught to patiently endure. 
This patient endurance is the wealth of a wise person, of a practitioner. It's the best kind of wealth. And the wise teach that patient endurance is able to lead us to Nibbana. And if we have patient endurance, then we'll have virtue. This is the way to seeing the Dhamma, to the end of suffering, to Nibbana. So we have to try to train in this, to have patient endurance, to be established in virtue, and the qualities of peace and collectedness and wisdom will arise following on. So in the beginning, we have to patiently endure. <clears throat>